Welcome back to the Play Big Podcast, where we're talking with people who play big in life, in business, and in finance. And I'm here today with Tony Ferraro, strategist, a speaker, and an activator for multiple people, entrepreneurs, and just people that are out there getting things done. So welcome welcome into our studios. Thanks a ton. It's just such an awesome opportunity to be here. I just am really grateful for it. So who is Tony Ferraro? Ah, who is Tony Ferraro? I think my, my wife of 20 years is still trying to figure that out. It God has designed me to be an activator, as you said, right? I, I activate people and organizations for a global kingdom impact. That's what I do. And what that really translates to is that I'm a visionary strategist. I understand how to help people and organizations figure out really more clearly define where they want to get to and then identify specifically how to get to it. Mm. And that's really my core strength. And I would say, yeah, that's what I am. What is it about individuals or really entrepreneurs in particular, I'll start there, that, you know, they have a dream or a reason why they start their business. But you mentioned being able to get into the to the vision. Can you explain what that means to you in, in your experience? Yeah. The, uh, the reality is that everything starts with a dream. You know, you don't have a cup of coffee in the morning without having a vision for a cup of coffee. There's nothing that we do as humans that doesn't start with a thought in our head. The question is, how well do you understand that thought? Mm. And how clearly can you articulate that thought? And, you know, and so... What I'm really kind of uniquely gifted at is two sides. I've got the entrepreneurial experience and the business side, but then I've also got the sort of, you know, individual counseling pastoral side too, and really understanding how people are built and what drives them going all the way back to their childhood, the mm. motivators, and really I can unpack all of that. Mm. And, you know, the vision that entrepreneurs have is built on top of something that's inside of them. And I what I've found is that, what helps people success and fail, it's not about the idea. You know, we've got 6,000, 10,000 years of human history, billions and trillions of ideas that have occurred. And for every aha idea you have right now, there's probably 100 people on the planet with the exact same idea that you have mm. literally right now right. and uh, at a minimum. And so the trick to success is not the product. It's not the, the service. It's not the solution. The trick to success is really unpacking your ambitions and your passions as they're tied to the vision that you have and then being able to figure out inside of you what are the obstacles to your success and now how do we navigate those obstacles in order to be determined and driven to get to the end result and that's what I help people really do. When did you first realize that for yourself? What was that journey like for your level of awareness to, to begin one understand it for yourself before you can help somebody else? What was that moment Man, for that's you? That's such a great question. You know, all the way back as a child, I was always kind of the idea guy and wanting to build something bigger and better. And that was kind of who I was. And then I, you know, go off to college, do the college thing, got out of college, went into sales, kind of did the sales thing. And then in 1999, I had an idea for a manufacturer's direct web portal. And so if you can roll your clock back to 99, this is pre-Amazon. Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is a big deal. And uh, in 1999, it's the tech boom. And I'm going around. You know, and my thinking on it was this, that every manufacturer in the world is already handling returns one-on-one -on -one to a customer. Why can't they take that loss center and turn it into a profit mm. center by shipping product direct to a customer and cut distribution out of the channel, mm. right, and out of the relationship, which would give them more price control in the new web world that was emerging? And, and that was kind of the idea. So I started pitching that everywhere, and I was really excited about it, and 
I mean, I got laughed out of every VC yeah. office site you could think of because how is it that you figured out what all these Harvard MBAs haven't, right. right? Online retail will never work. So I go off to law school. This is getting more to your question. So I go off to law school. <laughs> when I was at law school, I'm like, man, this is really it. And so I drop out of law school to go back and kind of pursue this thing, which eventually then the tech burst, you know, the bubble burst and, and it all right. fell apart. So one day I'm talking to this woman, getting to the aha moment, and I'm on the phone, and she said I'd started to pursue an email marketing thing at that time that was – it doesn't matter what it was. Mm -hmm. But the long and short of it is she says, so how is that going? And I said, you know, and this was it. For the first time in my life, I said, I failed. Wow. And it was an aha moment. I was standing in a parking lot at this place, and she says, well, how do you feel about that? There was a long pause on the mm -hmm. phone, and I kind of thought about it. I feel really good about it. And she said, well, what do you mean you feel good? And I said, I finally know what I am. Hmm. And she said, what's that? And I said, I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and for the first time in my life, I understood it. And I said, you know, I'd rather be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life and fail at it than chase somebody else's dream and pay somebody else's mortgage. Hmm. I don't want to do that. Right. And, and so then I started another company and eventually sold that in 2010. And on the back end of that, I went through this process called Life Plan. And in the Life Plan process, I discovered that I was really good at unpacking other people mm. and had historically been very good at that and understood business and understood people. And that was kind of that next turning point of I can take my entrepreneurialism background, tie it together with you know the natural pastoral side of me, understanding people, understanding how they're built put those two people, two things together to really help activate others in and embellish their next steps. And so what I discovered is I'm really great in sort of the startup moment of somebody's entrepreneurial journey. Mm. I can ideate within anybody else's passion. And I, based on my background, I have enough experience in a variety of industries to be able to really understand the problem you're trying to solve. What I'm really bad at is the day-to-day -day operation, yeah. getting things to the next step. I'm not a builder, but I vision really well in someone else's vision. And then on top of it, I can help them sort of understand how do we get to that next level. And so it was that secondary moment that took that first moment and my personal life experience, put them together. And that's kind of what birthed what I do for the last 15 years. And yeah. we, we, you mentioned that you're very good at understanding how humans are built and then understand there's a dream that's yeah. inside of them and un unpacking some stuff. So I actually want to unpack wanna, that. Well, yeah. I want to unpack that. How are humans built? Like, cause there's a lot of components to a human being, you know, you've got your, your spiritual self, you got your physical self, your mental self, your thoughts, your emotions, like all, all these things are there, but I'd really like to understand from you and your experience what, when you see a human, what is it that you see that that's built in Man, them? That's such a great question. You know, and this is, everybody's trying to seek the same thing for their life, which is fulfillment, hmm. you know, which is the one thing God promised that w was accessible to us was fulfillment. But the struggle is that we tend to look at our life similar to the, you know, classic, how do you eat an elephant? We look at the whole elephant. Yeah. You got to break the elephant down. Every life has what I call sort of six domains. Hmm. You've got your personal domain, which is the world from your perspective which includes your relationship with God. It includes your physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual health. And then you've got your family domain, which obviously changes over the course of life. And then you've got your vocational domain. And the way that I define vocation is how you produce, right? Now, some people produce for profit. Some people produce for purpose. Sometimes those two things go together. But I don't want to devalue the fact 
that some people just volunteer time, don't get paid, but that is their vocation, right? right? And then after that, following vocation, you've got your financial domain. And a lot of people don't really think about that domain. The financial domain is as important as all the other domains because it's our second greatest asset next to time, right? And and that's how you fund everything else. And then you've got your church your or spiritual community domain, and then finally the community or physical environment you live in. And And what I found is how you get to fulfillment is developing a dream for each one of those wow. okay. specifically. Interesting. Typically, we think about what's the, you know, if I ask you, hey, what are your dreams? Right. You give me one answer, right. and it's for your whole life. Mm. But life isn't like that, right? So if I ask you, hey, what's your dream for your finances? Or what's your dream for your church relationship? Or what's your dream in the community that you live in? Most people haven't thought at that level. Yeah. That's the unpacking component. And then when we get into the human side of it, you know, based on our past experiences, not only does that shape our expectations in each one of those things, but you also begin to reveal the anchors that hold you back in each one of those domains. And again, most people don't think about their life in a series of buckets. They right. think about it at a whole level. Right. And and that's what I one of the things I really help people do is develop a very clear vision for each one of those six domains and then develop a plan to get to that. When did you first realize that for yourself? So you had the moment when you realized yeah. the dream yourself, who That's you great. are. But yeah, then when so, did you realize this? The, yeah, these no, components? great question. So in 2012, you know, 2011, I just sold the software company that I started in my house. And uh, and at that time, there was a, a I was doing some organizational strategy for one of the largest churches in the country. And one of the other guys that was kind of on that that global strategy team was a guy behind a process called Life Plan and Stratop, and he was the former CEO of Purpose Driven Ministries for Rick Warren. Wow. And one day I was reading this other book called Halftime and by Bob Buford. And I was and Halftime is was a great book. It's about really finding purpose in the second half of your life. And you know, Doug says to me, Hey, I see you're reading Bob's book. And I said, Yeah, he said yeah, I, I did his life plan, and I'm like, okay, great. So he was trying to get me to do <laughs> right. my life plan with yeah. him, and I'm like, okay, fine, you got me. You know, Doug worked very closely with Rick Warren and, and a whole slew of others, and so I went through that process, and that's that process, which is, you know, sort of the foundation of some of the things I just mentioned, kind of began to bore out in me, you know, what I did. So I began doing life plans and doing, and then secondly, you know, working with organizations on strategy. And then over the years, you know, through my own experience, began to develop kind of my own process. But that aha moment came when I was going through that initial life plan with Doug. That's awesome. In 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 going through that, have you found the the patterns are the same for everyone, or are they uni- unique to everyone? What and what I mean by that is is there there's there one that leads the others more than the other one. So is the personal lead the family one more? Is the family one lead, or is the God bucket lead? Or is the financial one, is there a leading component or lagging, or how do you get them to work in in unison? particularly in the United States, but I'll I'll even go as far as to say in first world countries, and I have worked with people in first world countries all over the place. I would say the thing that leads pretty much everyone in in first world countries, um, and when I say everyone, I mean 80, 90%, is that vocational bucket, Mm. right? I mean, we're taught from a very young age, you've got to go produce. Right. And, you know, when you ask people what they do, everybody starts with their occupation. And let's be honest, and this is one of the pieces, right? Everybody's searching for balance in life. There's no such thing as balance. Yes. You're never going to spend as much time with your family as you do at your work right. until you're retired. I mean, mm-hmm. you're just not going to. 
And, uh, and so the trick to life fulfillment is not about balance. It's about dream attainment, achieving what you dream about, right? And that goes back to what we just said. Mm-hmm. I would say it's that vocational piece is really kind of the, the strong theme in everybody's life. The struggle with that is, and I don't want to get you know too deep into theology, but the reality is if you go back to sort of the fall of man story, the pursuit of work was – we worked in the garden, but it, the pursuit of work was part of the curse of mm. man, right? Yes. And yes, we had a job and a role in the garden before the fall of man, but the reality is sort of that component of, hey, I've got to go chase after work came, you know, breaking the back, I mean, which was part of the curse. So so what happened in that moment is that man's identity got twisted into my value is in my work, not my value is in my worship, Wow, if that makes sense. That makes 100% yeah, sense. Yeah, and, and, and that was the tweak. And so I think then you get into sort of Maslow's hierarchy, which has its problems, but nonetheless, the base of it is a- absolutely accurate. You know, we've got to have safety. We got to have food, right. right? Well, how do you get that? Well, you get that by working, <laughs> right. right? So it's and why do we have to worry about safety and working because of the fall of man? That's right. why we got to worry about it, right? Right. And so it, it that that's the root of why everybody wakes up in the morning and, and is like, okay, I got to go to work, right? It, that's why. And and when you're working with someone and you're unpacking them and you're helping them gain clarity and gain awareness right. for themselves where the real power comes from. How do you infuse kingdom-based principles into someone's vocation? Because you said sometimes you can do it for profit, sometimes you do it for purpose, sometimes they're able to do it together. How do you help someone recognize that there is something that's more valuable, right? You need the vocation, you need the money, you food, clothing, and shelter, basic necessities of life. But at the end of the day, when your life is done, there's the afterlife, right? And you're going to want this infinite return. Right. You're going to want something there, something stored up there. Correct. So how how do you get them to want to pursue that just as much as wanting to pursue money or work or things that they do? Yeah, it, it's about reframing really mm. more than anything. I, I think, you know, most everybody on the planet believes in a God concept, Right. right? However, most people check out of that concept when they start to, it's, it's like they put that concept, I mean, forget about biblical Christianity, I mean, just any faith-driven thing. Most people have some understanding of a faith piece, but they sort of segregate that part of their thinking from what they do every day. They put themselves in a different bucket. And so the reframing really comes with that question of life purpose. And if you have, if you have a faith-based reference then that faith-based reference has some characteristic, some quality that is sort of mandated within that sort of theological Hmm. framework, whatever that theological framework is. And it's getting people to rebuild their life off of that concept and understanding. Now, you and I, obviously, we share a faith, and we've got that, and uh, that's where we're at. But unfortunately, I'll tell you how broken it is. I'll give you an Hmm. idea how broken it is. This one time I was working with this individual, very high net worth guy, and uh, he was probably in his 70s. And it worth a lot of money. I mean, this guy had made so much money. And one of the things that I asked him on the front end is, hey, what do you want to get out of this process together? And he said, I want to find out what my purpose in life is. What is God really wanting me to do? I've got, I'm at 70. I got to start thinking about ministry, you know, kind of that eternal investment piece you mentioned a minute ago, the residuals and all of that everlasting. 
And I said, okay, well, we can figure that out. He, I said, so we go through this process, what's working, what's not working, what's confused, what's missing, and threaded throughout it was I don't know my purpose. All I ever think about is money. I feel really greedy. I feel like that's my struggle is greed, you know, and I hate that. And, you know, and there's a 70-year-old guy, and he's tearing up inside as he looks, at, you know, as he's self-examining. So then we go through his life, and we kind of look at all of his major turning points, and we get to the end of it. And I said, okay, here's your life on the wall. And he says, look at it. It's been all about money the whole time. It's been nothing but money. Everything's been about money. It's horrid. And, and now this 70-year-old guy is starting to kind of tear up in front of me, and he's right. crying. And he's worth, I mean, I can't tell you how much money this guy's worth. And, uh, and I, so I look at him, and I said, just tell me, ask this question. I said, well, I said, do you tithe? And he said, well, yeah, of course I tithe. Well, what percentage do you tithe? And he said, 70%. Wow. And I started laughing. Wow. So I got this 70-year-old guy who feels like a failure in life sitting in front of me, tears coming down his face. And he looks at me and he says, why are you laughing at me? I'm crying. I said, dude, you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. Yeah. <laughs> like He goes, huh? I said, you know your role in the church. This is your role. He right. said, that's a role? And I, he just didn't know, right. right? I said, God's stepping back, clapping his hands, saying, man, Go do more of <laughs> it, right. you know? And so the, the issue is, unfortunately, society has framed us up to think about wealth and vocation as the primary thing, mm. so much so that when a guy has made and built his life about the actual primary thing, he can't even recognize it for himself. I can't even see it. Doesn't even can't see even it. Can't even see it. Right? And so the reframing piece is about helping people understand that, that that biblical foundation, that faith foundation that you have, you just need to retool your ambitions with that as the platform and then ask the question, how aligned am I to what I believe? And how, how do you do that for yourself personally? How do you make sure that your awareness is clean, that what the, the vision God has laid out before you and you're out there pursuing what you believe God has really put on your heart? How do you basically make sure you're always on track or on on target for well, that. Well, yeah, first of all, always is a really tough word. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody it's bad, not always. Right? I, I know you, ch you chalk up more, did that. You chalk up more <laughs> losses in life than you do wins, but yeah. how, do, how does Tony yeah. personally yeah. make sure that you're constantly on, on purpose yeah, as, as I, much as possible? No, and, and I'll tell you, that's a daily struggle. I'll, yeah. tell you, I'll get to your answer in a second, but the reason it's a daily struggle is because God has made me a very high-powered visionary, mm. right? I can get equally passionate about 10,000 ideas and chase every single one of them. That's right. the hard part. Right. You know, there, there was a moment when I was kind of going through this personal retreat experience, and, and God really challenged me to really chase after his dreams over my dreams. Mm. And, and so, so one of the exercises that, that, we, that I take people through is this funnel, if you will, that goes from like everything you can do to everything you should do to everything you must do to everything you will do. Wow. Call it the commitment triangle. Mm. You know, what are you going to do? And so it's that funnel process that that really objectively helps you go, okay, I can do a lot. There's a lot that I should do to accomplish, but the will do needs to be based on a filter. Hmm. So what's the primary filter? Where does this align with what God specifically called me to do? Wow. And that, and I don't get it right 100% of the right. time, right? I mean, those personal ambitions and things still come up, but... The struggle that I found is that most people, particularly high visionary entrepreneurs, they don't use a filter other than their emotional gut. Mm. And and most of them, again, it goes to that bifurcation, right? Like God's designed me to be an entrepreneur. Oh, I have a really great idea. I feel really strongly about it. 
but it never goes back to a foundational principle. You know, what's the eternal purpose of this? Wow. And how does it, what's, how's it going to produce that? And, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to go build whatever this widget is, you know, is it okay for people to build widgets? Yes. But a, a great example, there's a company in uh, Indiana called IMI, I-M-I, I think is how it's spelled. And um, they've been making, well, they started as a horse harness company in the late 1800s. Wow. Now they're a seatbelt company and restraint. They probably make restraints and seatbelts for 90% of the market, you know, whether it's car seats for kids, whether right. it's seatbelts in a car. I mean, they got plants all over the world, massive company. This guy has, he's a faith-based guy. And he says, look, my primary purpose is to go and make disciples. So when he hires a plant manager, he says, your job is to go and make disciples. The way you do it is by making seatbelts. Wow. And so that's somebody who has figured out how to build a decision process entrepreneurial based on a kingdom purpose concept. And so the product itself is a means to an end and super successful. Wow. And how, how stay, staying on purpose for that? Because sometimes in, in business, sometimes oh, people are question. like, man, don't infuse you know, your belief system, your spiritual belief system into the workplace. How have you found that someone like that or other people that are successful infusing kingdom purpose into what they're doing because they're keeping the main thing, the main, this is what I must do. And this is God called me it's to good. do this. I've got these skills. I've got these talents and I'm going to be a good faithful servant to the skills and talents that they have me. Cause I know at the end that's, this is my target over here yeah. and not get caught up in the noise or the confusion of a marketplace and still be able to, to move through that. You know, that's really different for everybody to is I can tell you how this guy did it, which I will, but you know, it's different for everybody in the, I think what a lot of people forget is that we're supposed to be a light in the world, not a salesman for the world or to the world, wow. right? We're not selling anything. We're exposing something. And so that's a little different. If you look at it that way, it, it shifts things, right? So if what I do is I go in and I, tr I try to convince everybody of my belief system, now I'm a sales guy for God. Right. Well, that's not where you're supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a light for God, which is what? Well, I'm supposed to take on the character and nature. Well, not the, the nature as much, but the character and attributes that, that God would have for my life and allow people to see that transformation in me. And as they see it, they're attracted to the motivation of that, which is, you know, my faith. Right. You know, what this guy did, which was genius, is, you know, if you think about a manufacturing environment and everything that a manufacturing environment is, what he did was he literally went and found every verse in the Bible about safety and that communicates wow. safety. And so he's got these eight foot by 12 foot signs hanging throughout his facility that's a Bible verse about safety. Wow. Genius. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah. so we're a safety and we're a safety company. Yeah. We make restraints, right? And this is why we do it, right? We're the arm of that verse. Wow. And, you know, does he have people in, that don't share his faith? Of course he does. Right. right? But so he begins to infuse that faith in the subtle ways, right? He invites speakers in to talk. Now he's a big company, so he can do this. Right. But he flies speakers in that are going to talk about business concepts from a faith perspective during lunch. It's not required to be there. How do you get people there? You provide food. Right. So he caters the lunch. Everybody shows right. up, they get the message, right? right? The other thing that he does, and this is also genius, so he's got plants in like Serbia and uh, Mexico and some other parts of the world where part of his outreach there is he teaches English as a second language. And so what does he use for the text for teaching English as a second language? Right. He's right. using exactly. Right? right. And so he'll go to schools like Purdue 
and find engineer students who are also interested in missions mm. and hire them as an intern to go in Serbia, telling them that their primary job is to go and make disciples. So they work three days a week on seatbelts and two days a week on teaching yeah, English awesome. as a second language. That's awesome. <laughs> that's you know, you can get creative in how you do yeah. it without having to sell something. Right. It's amazing. When what, what do you think is stopping most people? So when they're pursuing what they're pursuing and the emotional framework comes up, because now that, I, now that I'm on purpose, I can get fired up about it and I can get excited. Some people it lasts for an hour. Some people can last for a week until you go get your teeth kicked in by the marketplace and right. things like that. But when people have fear or they have worry or doubt or anxiety, what is it that you think helps them undo that or get rid of that and fill it more with what you're talking about, more like the fruit of the spirit and those kinds of things. How do you undo one side and, and refill up the other side? Yeah. So you, you have to understand the history, right? Mm. Every you've got X number of years, 40, 50 years that produced where you are now. Right. And a lot of people don't understand that I'm a product of where I am now, all of the highs, all of the lows, it positioned me right here. Right. And so there are things that are experiences that you have from your past that drive your vision and your thoughts and your ambitions and your passions. But there's also things from your past that drive your anchors and, you know, your obstacles and your holdbacks. And, and you know, one of, one of the things that I've really found to be true for a lot of people is that they, when they look in the mirror, they see their 40 years of history and they see everything that produced that. What they don't think about is that when they're standing on a stage, the only thing that people see is the guy standing on the stage. Right. And what's interesting is the audience's perspective of the guy standing on the stage or the woman standing on the stage is what they believe to be true about people who stand on stages. Right. Right. Well, what they believe to be true about people standing on stages isn't what you see in the mirror. Right. Right. Yes. Does that make sense? So, so the issue is this, it's about confidence building, standing in truth, confidence. And this is one of the things I teach principles is confidence is really, if you break it down, Con translates to with, and fidelity translates to faith or truth, hmm. faith being what you know to be true. Hmm. So confidence is really about standing in what you know to be true. Wow. When you look in the mirror, you know that you've got all that history, and that's the person you see. But what you forget is that what's true about now is all that stuff produced where you are. Right. The core piece of sort of unlocking your future is is partly about unlocking the past and sort of resolving some of those false beliefs that you have, but it's also being able to stand confidently looking in the mirror and understanding who you are now as opposed to where you came from because that's what creates testimony, right? right. And the audience is seeing the picture of where you are now, not all of that history. Right. So unlocking those pieces is what really begins to fuel the future. Now, but the big component is this, and, it, it, and I don't want to go on too long of a rambling, you know, like I said, I, I focus on strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Strategy, I break down into two components, so strategic thinking and strategic doing. Now, strategic thinking is where everybody stops, right? Planning for tomorrow today and following through on that plan. That's right. basically the strategic thinking component, right? It is the planning for tomorrow today piece. And I break str the strategy, the doing part and the thinking part into kind of six steps. The first three it's, it starts with a dream. Everything starts with a dream. You got to have a dream. It's got to be better than where you are now. It's got to be a better future. It's got to be clear. You got to be able to articulate it in a way, and this is where most people fail. You got to be able to articulate it in a way that a painter could walk out of the room and go paint your vision after you told them what it yeah. is, right? That's the dream piece. It's got to be in the future. It's got to be better. It's got to be clear. It's got to have attributes to it that someone can understand. Mm. 
The second part is what I call direction. And the direction component asks the question, where are you now in relationship to your dream? Most people don't ask that question. They just start building. (laughs) And the reason that's important is because you have to build a path between where you are to that better future, Right. right? That's the plan. The second component is really the discernment piece, right? The, the plan. I just want to stop you. The plan part. How far out do you go? It, it depends on what someone's trying okay. to accomplish. In some place, in some ca- cases, it's a year. In some cases, it's five okay. or ten. It just depends on what, how big it is, yeah. right? Now, you always want to break it down to smaller chunks, and and that's that discernment piece, which is really okay. Here's where I am in relationship to where I want to be. What are the key mile markers that get me there? And that really gets to your time yeah. question. Right. What are those key mile markers? Now, when you get done with all of that, that's your strategic plan. Everybody knows that. Everybody can do that. Where they fail is the next part. And this gets back to your question. Where they fail is the next part. The first part of strategic doing is a word nobody likes, and it's called discipline. Okay? It's discipline. It's knowing your yes to the exclusion of everything else, Mm. to the exclusion of your no's. Okay, I can get that but also your maybes. That's the hard part, wow. right? Particularly as, a, as an entrepreneurial visionary, we get really emotionally passionate about a lot of things. Yes. And you've got to understand, you can be a 10 passionately about multiple things, but you can only pick one. <laughs> you can only pick one. And so the discipline piece is knowing your absolute yes to the exclusion of everything else mm. and sticking with it. This gets back to your question mm. about staying on track. Waking up every single morning and asking the question, am I doing the things that I said I was going to do? Am I doing the things that are based on the foundational principles that I say my life is about? Right. That's the discipline. The fifth component is drive. we got to put fuel in the tank. No car moves without yes. being in gear and having gas. So you've got to put yourself in gear and you got to refuel the tank. And this is true for yourself individually or whether you're leading a team. you got to put fuel in the tank. So fuel is the encouragement, right? It's it's the little ahas, the, the winning moments along the way. Let's recognize those. Let's embellish those. It's the engagement piece. You've got to remind yourself on a daily basis, what is this really all about? At the end of the day, what's the foundational principle that I'm really chasing and what's the why behind it, right? right? And then you get into the sixth piece, which is delivery. So you've got dream, you've got direction, you've got discipline, or I'm sorry, discernment. Then you have discipline, drive, and finally delivery. Delivery is the wonderful part, and most people don't do this. This is the third component of strategic doing, and that's this. One, delivery is about announcing to the world that you've accomplished something, right? right? It's saying to the world, I did what I set out to do, and people get excited, which refuels the tank. Oh, good for you. Congratulations. Now, after you do that, after you tell the world, I've delivered, what are they all going to ask you? What's next? That's exactly what they're going to ask you. It's a self-accountability process that you've just built in, right? Right. That delivery is important because not only does it tell the world that I have integrity, I know what I'm doing, I've accomplished, it does all that, but the second piece of it is it builds in that accountability to go to the next step. The problem is most entrepreneurs see the starting line as the finish line, right? right? As soon as my vision can legitimately be built, I've accomplished. You haven't accomplished yeah, yet. Just, <laughs> you're just, just getting started, right? right? Just open the you're, door. You're on the, you know, you're on the 10-yard line, the 20-yard line. Right. You got to get in the end zone, right? And so that delivery piece helps to keep you in check on, okay, I'm not there yet, right? Right. 
in, in that in the, in that process, having vision, where in in one of those components, where does the where's the mission come in, or what's the difference to in your experience, the difference between someone having a vision oh, and someone having a mission, and how does mission fit in yeah. to, into so, what you're talking so, about? So mission in the business context, yes. not the spiritual context. So mission in the business context, I call your mission, your vision, and your values your strategic framework. Okay. So that's in that first component. That's the dream piece. Okay. And and it works like this. Your mission is what you do. Your vision is what it looks like when it's delivered. Got it. Okay. So a vision statement shouldn't be a restatement of your mission statement. Your vision statement should be a statement about what it looks like when you've done it. Okay. And a lot of organizations and people, even people on a personal level, they don't understand that. They A lot of people don't understand the difference between mission and vision. The mission is what you do. The vision is what it looks like when it's completed, it's, it. and it's out in the future. The core values, which for most people in organization may get written down, may end up on a wall, but never get talked about again. Yes. The core values are one of the most important components, and that brings you, us back to the question that you asked about staying on track. Yeah, yeah. Your core values, whether you're a business or a person— should be the character that the character traits that you're going to have as a person or organization as you pursue the vision doing the mission. It really is a trifecta, and right. they all three have to be there. And here's why if you have a mission with no vision, you don't know that you're going to end up where you want to be. If you have a vision with no mission, then you, you got a great idea, but you don't know how to get there, right? If you have either of those with no character. You're building something on the back of broken relationship, yeah. which nobody wants to do. Correct. Right? It's all of those together. So when you understand your core values, either as a person or as an organization, that helps you eventually make those filtering decisions you were asking a bit ago, how do I stay on track? All of that brings you all the way down to discipline. Right. Right? So if my strategic framework is well understood, I'm going to make every single decision I make based on that strategic framework and that's the discipline. Wow. What are so what are in your business being a strategist and an activator and a speaker and doing those what are some of the values that hold what you do together? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So one value is activation. That's a core value okay. for me. And what that means is my role in life is to start you. Mm. Okay? It's to start you. It's not to do your job for you. Right. It's not to run your thing for you. My job is to start you, okay? And that's a really core value. Yeah. A second core value for me is that kingdom principle. If there's not a kingdom output, I don't care how big the business is going to get. I just don't care about right. it. It's not my yes. It's got to have a purpose to it in the end. So when I'm working on coaching either, either people or organizations, there's got to be a faith component in it somewhere. Mm. Again, it doesn't have to be you know, an organization that's you know, all about Christianity. Right. But the ownership and the drive that they have has to have a faith-driven component to it right. um, for me to get excited about it, because then I see where it fits in my mission, mm -hmm. right? So that kingdom purpose piece is really big. The activation piece is really big. Authenticity is a really big deal to me. You know, the way I'm designed is as a truth teller. Right. And so I don't play well in things that are contrived. I don't play well in things that are manipulated. I'm not interested in things that, you know, sort of... A, in sort of the stock environment, the pump and dump, not That's excited right. about that. It lacks integrity, right. at least for me. And so I'm not, so authenticity matters. You know, I, I don't want somebody, I don't want to prop somebody up on a stage who says that they have values they don't have. Right. And so that component is really important to me. It's got to have 
you know, the kingdom purpose has got to activate and it's got to have, you know, authenticity to it. Those are important. And then, of course, the, the next piece is it can't compromise my character right. in any way, so, which is really a fourth value, is that it's got to be consistent with who I am. When, when did you learn you you had, you shared a little bit, but when did you really learn that you had this unique gift that God put inside of you to be an activator for people? And maybe the other side of that is not also taking responsibility for someone else's lack of responsibility with what you activated them to do. Because sometimes, you know, you want to help someone, and you know that you can, yeah. and a light bulb goes off, and it's like, you know, it's a great moment. And then for some reason, they don't take the responsibility to do all the other things that you laid out. First of all, when did you learn that you were the great activator. at an activator, but also okay with if they don't do their end of the deal as well? Yeah. Sound, I'm not going to do your job for you. But sometimes that can be a tricky scenario. Sometimes. Yeah, so that, that again started in that life plan experience, yeah. really coming out of that, you know, really recognizing over the course of my life, if you look at your life on a wall and you go, okay, what have I really been good at? Every time I've kind of helped people, you know, spoken into their life, good things happen. Yeah. And and so just kind of seeing that, you know, it, it it's kind of funny. You know, I'm 56 years old now, and you see all these coaches and so forth popping up online that are 22, 24, 26, right. 32. They've got no, no life experience, experience behind none. them. have no idea what they're talking about. Right. They read a book. They built a formula, but they got nothing behind that. Right. Right. And the where you get that kind of an aha that you're asking about only happens when you're looking at a life that's already been lived. And so for me, that was kind of the aha moment back in 2012 going, you know what? I've, I never noticed that about myself, but when I work with people, when I talk with people, they always left really excited, ready to go take on a challenge and doing really well. And then if they did the things they were supposed to do, they became successful. And so that was where that activation work Mm. really came from. And, and and so that's the the first part of that question. The second part is really that really getting focused on the activation and letting that be the filter. It's really easy for me because I am, again, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm incredibly visionary. And I mean, you could sit down right now and say, Hey, I want to bring a new bag of potato chips to market (laughs) and I'll get really excited about your vision and I'll help you iterate it. I'll help you like figure out how to make it a household brand. And I can get really passionate about that idea where the temptation is to really get involved with that idea. And that's what, that's where I have to say, wait, I got a filter, and that filter is activation. Wow. Yeah. What in your business, what has surprised you most as you've been going through either about yourself or about other people, as you've been able to refine your process, be able to make it duplicatable in probably any industry? Yeah, right? no, wouldn't, it is. Wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't matter the industry, wouldn't matter the country, the language necessarily, the background, belief system. What surprised you as you've been on your journey the most? Either about this, yourself or about this other is people. Gonna sound, this is going to sound like like such a crazy answer, but it's the authentic answer. What really surprises me most is that other people can really focus on one thing for 20 years and be really excited about it. Yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> I can barely get 20 seconds out. Right. Right? I mean, the fact that people can get really passionate about one thing and really chase that one thing every single day and I guess for me, that maybe is where the lie is. I'm doing the same thing. It's just my one thing is filled with billions of other people's other things. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, but yeah it, it is the same thing. It's like a boat on water. It's like, oh, you see multiple harbors, and yeah. the harbor's doing what the harbor does, but you do what the boat does. Yeah, and so the surprising thing for me is that literally people can get really excited, and, and it's you know successful people, and really dedicate themselves this is what my life is going to be about, and I'm going to do it every day, and it just happens to be making seatbelts. Right. 
And I'm like, seatbelts? <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's a multi-generation. I mean, it, it had is a multiple, in their case. A multiple in their generation case, it is, yeah. business. Which the grandsons now running grandsons, yeah. which is amazing because a lot of times when it goes from one generation to the other, a lot of times it, it falls off. So there was that belief system there very from, from the very beginning. Very beginning. The same belief system. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's awesome. And that's what they've done though is they've built their family around that belief system. You know, we're here on Earth, in their case, to make disciples, and this is the way we get to do it. And being the number one provider in the world is a pretty good way to do it. Right. <laughs> Out, outside of uh, dreams and uh, an entrepreneur being able to recognize their dream and be able to articulate the vision and the mission and, and go through the whole framework, what do you think is a big challenge in, in the world for entrepreneurs currently? Because it's a, it's a funky environment. There can always be funky environments. I mean, human history is wrought with wars and inflations and all different kinds of things. What do you what do you see as some challenges that's currently facing entrepreneurs that maybe wasn't there 10 years ago or 20 years ago? That Gosh, the biggest challenge, I think, for entrepreneurs right now in terms of success is the sort of global community and environment that we live in. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is this, is that because of the Internet, Fewer and fewer players in a given market can succeed because once somebody really establishes themselves as the number one dog, everybody on the planet knows they're the number one dog right. and, and has access to the number one dog, right? So that makes competition a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. It makes entering a market a lot more difficult. The second part of this along the same terms is the, the, the rapid rate at which um, iteration occurs in terms of improvement has really created an entrepreneurial challenge for folks because it used to be that you could have a a good product and you could find a customer base in it. The problem now is that the starting bar for any entrepreneur is so exponentially higher than it's ever been because people have access to global dollars, a global market channel that again, your monopolies can emerge really fast in the marketplace, making it more difficult for entry because the bar is so high which gets to the third piece, the financing. You know, you say current. I mean, our you know, our economy is in a horrible place right. right now, and it makes it much more difficult. So access to money has never been easier in that you can reach a lot more money in, or a lot more people to raise money a lot easier in our global context. But the downside of that is that it costs a lot more. Right. And, and everybody, and this is the other part of it, because of that global context, there's an expectation that everybody entering the market is starting at a 10 level with everything. So if your company doesn't look like Coca-Cola on day one, you're just a rookie and you're not any good. And that, and so that public expectation because of the global experience with other tier one companies makes it a lot more difficult for somebody to enter the market. Right. Before we, uh, before we came onto the podcast, you were talking about different experiences in your business of having built businesses and sold businesses. And for entrepreneurs, sometimes that's the lure of the dream of, you know, hitting this mark or some people want to keep their businesses like the, you know, the safety belt businesses, multiple generations. But what was that? What was that like? Not maybe you probably didn't know you were going to sell it seven years later or eight years later. But what is that? What is that process like of starting something, having something be successful enough that somebody else says, hey, I would like to acquire that and continue it. What is that process like? And is it like getting rid of a dog or a family member because it's, oh, because it was like a baby to you for a little bit and then someone else is going to take care of it. That's it's, so it's, insightful because that's exactly what it is. You know, when you sell a company that you started, 
you still have dreams for that company. Remember, right. any good dream should be something in the future. It, you, and you're never, ever going to get to it. Right. And yeah, when I, it was like postmortem, you know, or, or postpartum. Postpartum. Yeah. It was yeah. like postpartum depression when I sold it. it on top of it, you know, I had been running so hard for, you know, eight, nine years and hadn't taken a vacation. And, you know, my wife and I were literally eating ramen noodles when right. we had a $50,000 a month payroll to 13 employees. You know, I mean, that was our legitimate reality. And, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, the process of selling your company that first time is like pulling that slot machine and you're waiting and you're waiting and the first one comes up seven and the second one comes up seven and you're waiting on that third one and it's <laughs> slowing down and and it's like winding and winding and that anticipation's building and then it finally the signed contract, there's that moment of absolute elation mm. followed by absolute depression. Wow. And that that depression is a couple of fold. Number one, I gotta get out of here. We need a vacation. You know, we've been running for yeah. ten years. And we need a vacation. So we we took the very first cruise we could find. Like, literally, I didn't care where <laughs> it was. was the next one leaving port. Exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what we did, which is a whole other story. Yeah. And then, so it's like, I got to get out of here. But that getting over the loss of the dream, you know, it's almost mm. like driving back to your neighborhood when you were a kid. You mm. want to see what everybody's, what yeah. people have done with it. How has it changed? And that's what happens with your, you know, when you do something, you've started it. It, it when you started as an entrepreneur, it's your baby and you, you have dreams and somebody else's dream may take it a different direction. Right. And so there was that. On the flip side, when I bought an already existing company for the purpose of flipping a company, well, that was a totally different experience. Yeah. I, I knew that I was coming in, adding a little vision for the purpose of improvement and selling it. Right. So at that point in my life, that experience was totally different. Right. But yeah, that first one, man, it was hard. How, how, how long did it... <laughs> How long it lasts? How long did it take you to get over it? I got to be honest. You know, there's still days, you yeah, know, and, oh, wow. and I mean, we're 10, 11 years later. Yeah. There's still days, you know, it it was my baby, you know, and I and it was the thing that we had no money and that's how we started right. and we worked really hard. And so there's still days. And when you when you finally got through that and then the next idea comes, what was it like going from I did this? Built it, sold it, went through depression, went down, licked the wounds, figure yourself out, but re, re get the fire back up. And then what what was the next thing? Very similar to the first one, or is it okay, com completely yeah, so totally different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally so, different industry so or that's all about wiring, right? Okay. It's, this goes back to what I said before. You know, I'm wired to be very entrepreneurial. Yeah. I can have and I do. You know, I've got ten ideas every day that I can get equally emotionally attached to. So that road was a very short road. Got it. In fact, in fact, we had our, the, the next play we had already started before we sold the other company. So I was already kind of in the midst of that. Uh, and, and it was similar in that it was technology-based. And, you know, we kind of slipped right into that and equal passion for it and all that. What's interesting is the way the brain works. And a lot of people don't really understand the psychology of the human brain. You know, we compartmentalize. And in the psychological world, particularly when looking at your past, it's commonly referred to as dissociation, mm. right? So what we do, let's say as a child, you're experiencing an, an abusive relationship with a parent or whatever. You can't really do anything about it. So you recede into this place inside yourself while all the terror is happening around you. Same thing with like post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? You kind of recede into this place right. while everything happens around you. And that happens and it's compartmentalized. And then you go on in life and other things occur but it's still all there. Mm. Now, you throughout life, you might go on and get married. You might have kids. You might experience the excitement of kids. But that 
piece is still there. And there may be a trigger later that kind of brings that out. And that's that dissociative behavior. That's that unlocking mm-hmm. of the past. Similarly, you know, I can go and chase another idea and be equally passionate about it and excited about it. But there's still that little piece inside me that's like, man, what I could have done with that company. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's the brain. That's how we yeah, operate. Of course. What, yeah. uh, what currently and what you're doing right now has you most excited or what is next for Tony? Yeah, really great. Thanks for asking that. You know, my thing right now is about scaling a lot of what I do. Hmm. You know, how do I take... You know, at the beginning, I think I mentioned, you know, the way I'm designed is to activate people and organizations for a global kingdom impact. You can't you can't do global on a small basis. Right. right? That's not global. Right. And, and so really, it, it's now about how do I take a lot of the things that I've developed, the courses, the thoughts, the ideas, how do I take it and go from one on one in a room with somebody for two days, you know, or a, an executive team for three days how do I take that and really scale it to the mm-hmm. next level so that lots of people can benefit around the planet? And that's what I'm really excited about is really getting that that bigger you know play sort of right. launched and rolling and being able to impact more lives. And because that's the biggest thing for me, like my big win at the end of the day is seeing somebody else go, oh, my gosh, I can do this, yeah, you know, and just being able to sit back and get really excited about somebody. And the funny thing about it, the way I'm designed, I don't care how big that is. Right. right. For some people, it's like like that story I told. It's just seeing that you're actually already doing God's work, and that's exciting, and now you're in alignment with it. Right. You know, for others, it's, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go start, you know, one of the biggest companies on the planet. I'm going to put a man on Mars, you right. know, whatever it is. I don't really care which one of those it is. You know, that's the way. I'm just excited you're taking a step. Yes. You know? That's all, that, yeah. that, that, that's really awesome. I'm going to be the one lost sheep in 99 that, that's, that's 100% what it's about for me is, yeah. is seeing people take the step. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, you see, I got some stickers on the table here. So right. it's a tradition that we've started that everyone that comes in gets to get a sticker. You get to sign your autograph or write a phrase that's important oh. to you. And then you get to find anywhere on the table to, to put that bad that, boy. That is, that, this, I got to tell you. <laughs> so I can't wait to, this over is, the course of the next couple of years, yeah, this, this is thing awesome. is going to be. I mean, this is awesome. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I'm going to write a message to you. Oh, okay. okay. So that message to you is going to be push people to their purpose. Awesome. Push people to their purpose. P-U-R-P-O-S-E. And I'm not going to sign it because nobody can read it. All right. Tony. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Now you get to find a spot on the table. Awesome. Whatever, awesome. Whatever. Awesome. So now what I'm at. So is everybody always on this side of the table? Yes. This then is I'm going to put it right here. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. There you go. Thank you for Thanks being here. Time, man. It's yeah. awesome. Thank you for tuning in and always ride the wave of life and always play big. Uh-huh.